When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whether your business needs cars, vans, or larger commercial vehicles, you can rent from the best lineup in the UK with Enterprise. And with flexible long-term rental, you can get vehicles for as long as you need them, from minutes to months. Whatever the mission, Enterprise's mobility experts can build a bespoke solution to suit your business needs. Visit enterprise.co.uk forward slash business to find out more. Welcome to Upfront with Gabby Agbonnahor and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. This is the show that takes you into the world of the number nine as we find out what it takes to be a top flight striker. We'll discuss their career-defining goals, being a one-club player, and how it felt to score for their boyhood team. Now Ashley Young. Great cross, Agbonnahor's touch! Four minutes to go, and this time Aston Villa might have won it. And it's a lifelong... Aston Villa supporter. You're listening to Upfront with Gabby Agbonlahor and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. My guest today is not a one-club man exactly. Briefly experienced loan spells at Watford and Sheffield Wednesday, but with 391 out of his 401 club appearances coming for the Villa, it would be churlish to suggest that he is anything other than than a villain through and through. A pacey striker who burst onto the scene at 19, scoring on his debut. He went on to win three England caps, an FA Cup runners-up medal, a League Cup runners-up medal as well. Hello, Gabriel Agbonlahore. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. You're only 33. Why are you not still playing? A lot of people ask this question, and um, the, the, the best way to explain it is, for one, I didn't want to play for another team apart from Aston Villa. But... What comes with that as well is that at that same time where I didn't have a new contract at Aston Villa, at around that time, that season, I was getting a lot of injuries. I was pulling my calf all the time. I was pulling my hamstrings. It was this calf, this hamstring. My body felt so sore after training. It felt like I played a game after training. And it was sort of the time where, like, I know it was probably a bit early. I was, I was like 31, nearly 32, but my body was just telling me that Basically, you've got mileage on the clock. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to explain. It's like my body was just saying, like, you can't do the things that you were doing when you were younger. And I think I relied a lot on my pace. So once that started to um, go a little bit, it was more like, okay, maybe I'm not going to be able to play at the level I want to play at. And then for me, it was, do I want to go down to League One? Do I want to go down to League Two? It's not being arrogant. It's just the, the, the thought of going down to them leagues when I've been playing... 11, 12 years in the Premier League. It's just something that I couldn't see myself doing, to be honest. Do you think that it, because you started so early and got into the first team so young, that that had an effect? 100%. I mean, it's not just me. You know, you see a lot of players that um, get to 30, 31, and, you know, they're, they're not the same player there was. I remember I was playing the first three, four seasons, I was playing every game. You know, not even resting a minute um, in a lot of them seasons. And I think it just took its toll on my body, you know, um at that last season, I was just like, my body, you know, just my body just felt old. It's hard to explain. Yeah. I think other players will understand that, like, your body's just, like, not recovering. You're playing a game Saturday and Monday when everyone else is out there running around, you're, like, crawling out onto the training. <laughs> you're trying to hide the fact that your body's, like, in pieces still. Well, the players are recovering. You're, like, crawling out to the training ground. And I just knew, to be honest, my body was letting me down. I was getting a lot of injuries. I didn't deserve a new contract at Aston Villa um, because of um, how much I didn't play much that season. And my agent come to me with offers abroad, but with, with kids, it's hard, you know. I think because I'm so close with my kids, the thought of my son starting secondary school and me not being there on his first day and me being in China, um, Thailand or India. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't something that 
I, I could do Australia. Do you know, like finishing yeah. training and FaceTiming your kids once a day. Like it's just not something that I could have done. There was offers, but I think I made the right decision. And even now, I look back two years after the last time I played, I still think that like I made the right decision. I don't have any regrets. You know, some players will play till they're 38, 39. They can't walk and they're going down the league just because they want to carry on playing. But for me, it was, I couldn't see myself on a Tuesday night playing at, no offence, at maybe a League One or League Two stadium. You're getting abuse because of the high standard you played at and the standard you're at now. Do you know what I mean? I just couldn't put myself through that. I know what I'm like. Mm. I know that like I, would, I need to be playing in like a top league to, to have the hunger, to have the, the drive. So I didn't think it'd be fair to go to a lower league team and then not give them 100%, which I know that I wouldn't have been able to do. How would Gabby Bonlahor describe himself as a forward? What sort of forward were you? I'd um, describe myself as a pacey, um, a very, very quick fo- um, forward who um, could score goals. Wasn't clinical, but could score goals, you know, so um, could score any type of goal from outside the box, tappings, one-on-ones. But people got people forget, though, I played half, more than half the games in my career as a left winger. What, what did you like about being the centre forward? I always watched Thierry Henry. I was obsessed with him as a kid. You know, I was a Villa fan, but I was also an Arsenal fan because of Thierry Henry. So better for Henry. Running at Harman and away from him. And running at Carragher and away from him. Still, Thierry Henry! Fantastic goal! Absolutely brilliant from Henry! So I always try to stay on the left-hand side. You know, as Thierry Henry did. Yeah, they I used to like in. to make my, my, yeah, my, make my channel runs onto the left-hand side. Like, if you looked at maybe my heat map over the over the years, I was always on the left-hand side. It was like the right-hand side. It wasn't a go-to. Do you know what I mean? It was like I was, I was obsessed with the left-hand side to try and get that chance of cutting in and bending it like Thierry Henry did. I mean, I scored a few goals with that sort of side foot mm. from that angle with Thierry Henry used to score. And I was obsessed with that. So it was just something that I liked. Um... And I think with my pace, I think I was a nightmare for defenders. You know, defenders used to hate playing against me because they sort of knew that the run was going to be made when the midfielder or the left-back had the ball. But it's a run that if you're left spacing behind, I'd always um, cherish on. And then if I got the right ball, I'd be in on goal. If I didn't get the right ball, I'd hold it up and play it back to the likes of Asti Young, who would then go and do his stuff and I'd get in the box. So it was just something that I really enjoyed playing as a striker um, on that left-hand side and getting into channels, you know, getting in behind. Did you develop as you went on then? Did you get better as you, you went on? It's crazy. I learned a lot of coaches, but I learned a lot, a lot of from other Premier League players. Really? As crazy as it sounds. So every game you played, you learned more. You played against the great Chelsea teams, the great Man United teams, the great Arsenal teams, and you, you're playing against them. You're like, wow, look what he just done. He let you through his legs. He turned with the outside of his right foot and then done a one-two and ran in behind. You, you learn a lot of better players that are better than you by playing against them, watching videos, and then you try and do that stuff in training. And then if it comes off in training, you, you're comfortable to do in the game. So from the from the Gabriel Wonderhall that made his debut against Everton away to the one that played under Martin O'Neill and under Paul Lambert and McLeish. There was so much difference in first touch, um, left foot finishing, heading, strength, runs, receiving the ball to feet and turning. You know, like I was just learning more mm. every game, every season from um, different coaches and playing more in the Premier League. Um, can we warm you up with a couple of quick fire questions? Uh, regular yep. listeners to this series will know that we do this to sort of get a quick hit of the main headlines before we dive in. So the things that come to okay. mind as soon as I ask these, just just wrap them out to me. Um, mm-hmm. It gives us a sense of who, who Gabriel Bonahor is. What was your favourite goal? So my favourite goal was, because of the rivalry, um, my first ever goal against Birmingham City at St Andrews. I think it was just an amazing feeling for me and something I'll never forget. Now Young. Agbon Lahore! An unbelievable finish! Agbon Lahore, saviour with a goal line clearance from Liam Ridgewell at one end, scores what could be the winner at the other! What was that feeling like when the ball hit the back of the net? A lot of people talk about not being able to replicate that in retirement. I'm sure that's yeah, something you can't you, you, bottle. You know what it was? It was the whole game and the whole... So, for instance, I was on the line for corners and Ridgewell had a header. He was an ex-Villa player. 
and he had a header and I reached with my right foot to um, clear it off the line. So even that adrenaline was like, well, stop the goal here. Then a few minutes later to go on the opposite end in front of the away fans, the Villa fans and get that header, which when I look back now, I, I think Mike Taylor would be disappointed he didn't save. But <laughs> Still just that them. feeling, just <laughs> but that feeling of like, wow, it's gone in. Like, wow, like it's gone in from, from growing up and Villa were losing a lot of games to Birmingham City when I was growing up and in the U team to finally get your chance to silence a full St Andrews, which is a quite hostile stadium when it's full in a derby. And then just, just that feeling you can't replicate and I'll, I'll never get a feeling like that ever again. Who was your favourite strike partner? John Carew. Hey, Bollahot, chance to see it towards Carew. 3-0. Wonderfully worked goal. And that seals the points for Aston Villa. Big striker, strong won lots of flick-ons, but could play football as well. And for me, being the quick striker, the small striker, you know, I hadn't developed as a man yet. I was still a little boy. I was small, small and quick. So it was like a big man, small man. You know, like the the old um, old school Premier League teams used to play 4-4-2. So it was like the big man. I was like the little quick man. And we just got on like a, do you know what I mean? We just got on well from the start. Mm. And um, I really enjoyed playing with him. I wish I played with him um, when he was a bit younger as well. Um, which defender was your toughest opponent? Who gave you the most trouble? You know what? Rio Ferdinand was a nightmare. I just remember, like, John Terry was tough, but Rio Ferdinand had the pace as well. Does that make sense? So yeah. John Terry was really, really tough to get past, but if there was space in behind, you could you could um, do him in behind. But with Rio, it was like, if you try and run him behind, he's getting there before you because he's he's, he's, he's got them long, quick strides. You try and hold the ball up. He's got his big arms on your back. He's like, do you know what I mean? It was just the the. But nowadays, you'd say like Van Dijk is similar and and company was similar. But for me, Rio was a nightmare. I mean, Ledley King was tough as well when he was fit, but Rio was just a nightmare. He'd beat you in a race, tackle you, do a step over, and then start running the opposite way, and you've got to chase him. So it was like, who the hell is this defender? He's like a bloody alien. So I didn't look forward to playing against Rio. Not one bit. I don't think anyone did, to be honest. Still to come on up front with Gabby Agbonlahor, he discusses the fierce rivalry between Birmingham City and Aston Villa. Is it hatred? I think it is. As, as bad as it sounds, I think the fierceness of it, the abuse that I've got, it just makes you hate each other. It's just part of football, isn't it? You're listening to Upfront with Gabby Agbonlahor on TalkSport. People take different routes to success, don't they? Were you always a striker? Yeah, I think I was always a striker from um, a young age at my Sunday league team because of my pace. You know, I was three times quicker than anyone. Like, you could imagine when you see quick players at 18, 19, like, you you, you got to think, what were they like at 7, 8? Do you know what I mean? Like, they were rapid. Like, I was one of them that was, like, that much quicker than everyone else. It was like, okay, just put him striker because he's going to get in through, through in on goal a lot. You know, especially at a young age when there's no offsides and stuff. You know what I mean? You're just, mm. like, running past everyone. So, yeah, I was always a striker. And, um, yeah, all the way through my, my youth. Let's go back to, like, your first tentative steps at Aston Villa then in the youth team and, and, and coming through the ranks. I know you made your debut at 19, but who taught you to be a centre-forward? There was a guy called Steve Burns. He was um, one of my early coaches when I when I got scouted at um, Aston Villa. I was about 12, 13, 14 um, age. And, yeah, just, like, doing doing different drills, you know. And I remember Gary Shaw and um, Mark wow. Walters used to used to work at Villa and we used to do a bit of striking, striker coaching, you know. Villa legends. A little bit now and then. Yeah, yeah, Villa legends, especially Gary Shaw. He used to do a bit with me. And... Yeah, just just learning a lot, really. But honestly, when when I remember now, like I was raw. I mean, I as as a young lad playing Sunday League, I was like raw. My pace got me to where I was. And then when I joined Aston Villa, it was like, all right, you're this quick lad. But now we've got to turn you into a footballer, not as just a sprinter. So I was learning a lot every year in the U team, and then um, how to use my left foot better. And I, I, that's how I, how I really like worked hard with coaches to master 
shoot with my left foot because I always knew at the highest level you need to be able to use both feet. You know, you're not going to always get to use your, your best foot and I managed to score a lot of goals in my career with my left foot. You don't mind a little bit of sort of banter with the Birmingham fans. You you had some controversies mm-hmm. along the way in your career. What were you like to teach as a kid? Were you, I mean, I think people have got a perception of you that you might mm. have been quite a difficult kid to, to try and <laughs> school. What were you like? No, no, I, actually, I, I was good to be fair. You know, you know what? I was in the youth team, the manager, which is a funny story. My, um, so imagine your parents are there in a youth team game and the coach took me off after 10 minutes because I wasn't running around enough. So imagine your dad watching. My dad was fuming. I was on the on the bench like, geez, this is this is a ruthless old school Scottish coach. His name was Tony McAndrew. Yeah, he was like, you lazy so and so, get off the pitch. You're not running around enough. Do you know what I mean? Like that's probably not something they can get away with now. But back then it was like, it's got to deal with it and then play hard in the next game. So I don't think I was hard to coach. I was probably just hard to get to do the jobs that youth team players had to do. Like when I'd done the balls, it was like, okay, the balls aren't done properly. You know, like the, the, the balls aren't, aren't are too hard for the first team. The, the balls are too flat for the first team. It's probably things like that. You, I bet you weren't like, great at um, cleaning boots, were you? No, 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 no. Especially them boots back in the day. Bloody hell. Gavin McCann's were the tempos where you had to polish them once you'd washed them and dried them. So it was like, sometimes you come into me and be like, Look at these boots. I'll be like, what's up with them? He's like, look, they're, they're, they're soaking wet still. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Like, you know, like, <laughs> we, we weren't bloody boot cleaning geniuses. It was just something that we had to do part of our jobs in the youth team. But I think, like, football-wise, I was definitely um, fine to, like, teach and coach because I was breaking records. I mean, I broke Darius Vassell's record of scoring, um, of goal scoring in a season. What about school then? If you were good on the football field, what were you like in the classroom? You know what? I was that scared because my dad's like an old school Nigerian man and he, he we, we, you didn't have a choice to be naughty at school. Even if you wanted to, you wouldn't because you knew the punishments would be so severe when you got home. Do you know what I mean? That's the way I was brought up of like, you, you, you ain't being naughty. Fair enough, you might not be the cleverest, but you're not being naughty. So I never got a parent's evening report which says Gabby's disturbing in class, Gabby's naughty, no way. Primary school, I was really clever, but secondary school, once I got into the Villa Academy, I sort of dropped off, which was then bad for me, but I was just obsessed with football, you know, like nothing else mattered. And like, I was just that obsessed with football and that determined to make it. I was like, I'm going to be a footballer, I'm going to be a footballer. People would be like, no, you're not, no, you're not. People in school would be like, no, you're not, no, you're not. Um, you need to do your education. I was like, I remember doing GCSEs and sitting there, not having a clue what any of it was about. <laughs> do you know like I was just like reading the, the test and just sitting there waiting for the time to finish like so I'm going to play football I mean I didn't pass any GCSEs I didn't do any coursework and my dad sort of let me off because I think he's seen a player in there uh, when you broke into the first team at Aston Villa it, it was almost because they didn't really have a choice did they I mean they ran out of numbers no. you'd been to Watford and Sheffield Wednesday on mm-hmm. loan you hadn't scored at that time but tell me no. about that day at Everton well, even like like the, the loans, honestly, I went to Watford and I went to Sheffield Wednesday afterwards and I hated it. I was homesick. Do you know, like a boy that's been like locked away in like a strict household and he's been sent to the Ramada Jarvis Hotel in Watford. Do you know what I mean? Like I was like, what's going on here? I'm so homesick. I, I, did, I hated football when I come back from Sheffield Wednesday. I hated football. I didn't want to play football anymore. And then um, I come back and I was back with the reserve, you know, no sniff of the first team because it wasn't a successful loan. And then I got the told by the reserve team manager, um, the first team I was going to train with them. And then I trained with them and then they're like, you're travelling? I was like, whoa, really? I'm travelling, okay. I think, I don't know what strikers there was, I can't really remember, but a lot of them were injured or ill. So I remember um, being told I'm starting the game. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I just remember like my dad coming in the game, Goodison Park, and we were getting battered. I mean, we were three, four nil down, I can't remember. But I just remember Lee Hendry putting me through. Aimed in towards Hendry and touched on for Agbodlahor! It's a moment he'll never forget. It was just a, a, a tame effort really from me. I think it was just like, okay, I'm having a shot in the Premier League. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just just have a shot, you, 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 you're losing your game, but you've probably got a shot in the Premier League, you know what I mean, it might be your only chance. And when I look back now and I see the goal, and I'm, even at the time it was like Richard Wright dropped the clanger here, he went right through him and like not at speed. 
And I just remember scoring and celebrating and thinking like, yeah, we've lost, but at least I've scored. You know, like sort of like this little bit of joy out of the game because I've scored as a 19-year-old. Do you know what I mean? And even when I look back today, I know for a fact I would not have had the career I'd had if I didn't score because it would have been 19-year-old made his debut but didn't do anything in the game. Okay, then all the strikers are back in. But because I scored, it was headlines. Do you know what I mean? Everyone wants to interview you, don't they? You know, like you can't not have them around the first team then. So I was around the first team for the rest of the season. And were you ready to play first team football at that stage? Really? Just to be honest, mate, I remember that the loans that I went on, I was a bit like, whoa, there's a lot of fans here. I don't know, it's a bit nervous because there's fans actually watching now. Like, there's no hiding place. So I don't think I was at all, to be honest. And from the hall, in. And Aston Villa have the lead. Beautifully taken. Martin O'Neill celebrates. The deadlock is broken and it's the 19-year-old local boy who's put Villa ahead. Very soon there was a change of manager. Martin O'Neill came in, took over from David O'Leary, who given you your debut. Did he immediately identify you as someone with potential? Yeah, he was. it was like he'd, he'd seen his long-lost son, who... who <laughs> who he'd finally been like, he finally got a chance to see. I mean, from day one, he was just like, you, you're playing here as a winger. Um, he was obsessed with youth and pace, which most managers are, aren't they, even now? Do you know what I mean? He was like, well, okay, you're the quickest in the team. Do you know what I mean? I want to, like, get rid of some of the older players and the players that aren't as quick. This quick 19-year-old, I'm going to build my team sort of around him. Do you know what I mean? I played every single game. Not, I didn't have one second I didn't play that whole season. How did that make you feel? Like, amazing. It was so good because every game I was like, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine around these fans. I'm fine around 40-odd thousand at Villa Park. I'm fine. You know, like, I got confidence every game, every game. And mm. what Martin was good at was that this day and age, one good season, players might be getting like 80,000, 100,000 pound a week. What Martin done well at that time is he kept me hungry. He was like, to me and my agent, you're not getting big money yet what you're going to do is you're going to get play 40 games 40 starts and you, you get renegotiation so I'll sign your contracts every 14 15 months new contracts because I was playing the games do you know like to keep me hungry yeah which was like something that maybe more teams should do now and that's what um Martin done he was just like a father really a father figure to me and Every game I was getting better and better and um, I was learning more and learning more. At the end of that first season, around April, that's when you signed your first sort of real big contract or a four-year contract. You committed yeah. your future to Aston Villa. Um, mm-hmm. What was going through your mind at that point? Do you think I've made it here? Yeah, 100%. Not that I think I've made it. I just thought, this is what I'm talking about. Do you know, you know like, like you, you, you played a whole season, you've, you've done really well and it's like, okay, here's the... The, the real money's coming now. Do you know, like, the, the money's going to change my, my life, my family's life. Mm. I used to train with the first team sometimes under O'Leary. And I remember Freddie Boomer saying to me in training one day, you're going to earn £25,000 a week one day. I was like, whoa, really? I was like, he's like, yeah, you will. I can tell. And I was like, okay. I think I was like 18, um, just training with the, the, the first team. I hadn't made my debut yet. I was just training with them. But to hear that, I'm like, okay. And then just under Martin to then play that whole season and then get a better contract and play another season, get a better contract. I was felt part of the part of the, the, the team, do you know what I mean? And Villa fans talked to me straight away as being a local lad and a Villa fan. And like the earning that money at that age, it was just like, whoa, wow, this is crazy money. Did it change your life? Did it change your family's life like you thought it might? 100% mate, like it was always cost cutting at all times. It was like, summer holidays it was play football in the back garden and then go inside and make your own tins of tomato soup with bread that's your lunch to then get this money at that young age it was like okay i'm gonna enjoy myself but my whole family's gonna enjoy it ashley young then to pop it in Carew and akbon lahore has scored and he may well have snatched victory in the second city derby for aston villa you seem to have an attraction to scoring against Birmingham City. Was that a coincidence or was it fueled by something deeper? I think it was fueled by something deeper. I think Rangers Celtic, the most rivalry, then it's Birmingham City, Aston Villa. I don't care what anyone says, any any fan that says Man City, Man, Man United, I've watched a lot of them games and it doesn't look as fierce, nowhere near as fierce as the Birmingham City Villa Derby. 
Um, Spurs, Arsenal doesn't. Do you know what I mean? The Villa Blues derby, it's like people are that nervous of giving the ball away and going to lead to a goal that everyone's hooking the ball on. It's like, it's like, do you know what I mean? It's not like a football match, especially the, the, the latter game derbies I played in. No one's playing football. It's like kicking each other, lumping the ball. No one's going to get it down from the back and play. They're scared of losing it and then someone scoring. Do you know what I mean? They know how much it means. You can't make a mistake. So for me, growing up and seeing. When Dion Dublin headbutted Savage and Lee Hendry getting into scraps in games and Enkelman when he went under his foot, it sort of built into me like, wow, if I ever get a chance and play in this game, I'm scoring, like I'm winning. Out of nine league games, I didn't lose one. And it was just something that like, if I'm in this team, we ain't losing. Is it hatred? I think it is. As, as bad as it sounds, I think the fierceness of it, the abuse that I've got when I played against them, the way they abused my family and stuff like that, it just makes you hate each other. It's just part of football, isn't it? I just didn't want to speak to any of the players and the opposite team. It was like, I hate every hate every one of you. You're playing for the, the, the more fierce rivals. Do you have any friends that are Birmingham City supporters? <laughs> They're friends, but when I started to make my debut, they sort of changed to Villa fans, sort of, if that makes sense. No, not really. So they weren't hard. Yeah, they weren't <laughs> hardcore blues fans. They were sort of like maybe the area they were brought up in was blues. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit of like area yeah. codes in there in Birmingham. Certain part of the city, you'll be Villa because you were brought up there, and then others you'll be um, blues. But I don't think people understand. Like I remember one of my friends, I won't name him, but when I retired, he said, um, "Would you play for Blues? The Blues offered you a deal." I says, "Are you joking?" He was like, I'll play. You're getting more money. Why not? I was like, are you joking me? I actually nearly fell out with him as a friend because he couldn't understand why I would never play for Blues. I says, they could offer me 200 grand a week and I wouldn't play for them. Like, you don't understand the rivalry. And he's like, well, I would if I was playing because it's extra money. And I'm just like, what's going through people's minds? Like, do you know what I mean? Money's and everything. Like, you, you, you think I'd ever even, like, think about it. Not a chance. And he just stood, he couldn't understand it. And I'm just like, I'm going to have to fall out of your ear because you're winding me up even mentioning it. You scored like five goals against them. You're the most hated Villa player ever to play the game, probably by Blues fans. Vice versa, I, I don't like them. And what would they even think about playing for them? It was like, I can't believe you've said this to me as a friend. Plenty more to come on Upfront with Gabby Akbonnahor as we find out if he regrets being a one-club man. Sometimes I might look back and say, you know what, maybe if I left and went this club, I could have maybe played Champions League, I would have had maybe all England caps, I would have won a trophy. But when I look back, I'm like, I'm proud to have been that one one man club. This is Up Front with Gabby Agbonnahor and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This episode of the TalkSport Daily is brought to you by Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Planning to hire or share a car or van? Enterprise is there every step of the way. Whenever and wherever you need a vehicle and whatever it's for, Enterprise can help. With over 450 locations across the UK, they're just around the corner. Whether you need a weekend rental, a holiday hire, a replacement car, or you're planning a business trip, home or away, Enterprise are there to help. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. Chance for four, it is. Gabriel Agbonlahor has got a hat-trick in the space of, what, six minutes, seven minutes. It's a sensational start of the season for the young man. Villa four, City one. Gabriel Agbonlahor, well, what an afternoon he's having. 
You are the local boy. You're the villa lad who now leads the line for his team. You're the boy's own and girl's own hero. If you could have an entrance music to, to come onto the field at Villa Park, what would, what would sum you up? At the early age, when I first started, I was really, really, really into speed garage or really into hip-hop as well. So hardcore hip-hop like Migos, Future, 2 Chainz, something like that. Would you have been playing that sort of music the day you scored the perfect hat-trick against Manchester City? Yeah, 100%. It would have been um, hip-hop, definitely. I remember after the game, I went to um, under-21s, so I would have been listening to that on the drive to the under-21 squad, definitely. What was that day like, that City game? It was crazy, you know. It was like everyone was buzzing for the first game of the season, you know, the sun's shining. It's like, you know what I mean, this is the time. Aston Villa are going to turn up this season and... I was sort of having a beast, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't having a good game. Then, goals change things, don't they? It's not always how you play, is it? You can have an amazing game and not score, or a rubbish game and score a hat-trick. That's just football. And I think that's what happened that game. I think any other manager probably would have got took off because Martin O'Neill loved me. He was like, I'm not taking him off. Do you know what I mean? And then I got a chance to score one, then two then the third one and it was just like wow scored a hat-trick like I'm in that bracket of people who have scored Premier League hat-tricks and it was a quick one as well wasn't it I think it might have been third quickest of all time it is the third quickest it's of just all something time that you can't, it's something you can't take away from someone you know the balls in my house, my dad's house at the moment signed by the whole team sometimes being a striker is more is not just about goals is it sometimes being a striker mm-hmm. is about more than goals sometimes it's about yeah. scoring goals sometimes it's about goals that you aren't getting you've gone through spells without scoring how did it affect you yeah. I always said to myself I know my ability I'm going to score I'm going to score you're going to go through this but you're going to score just be like composed don't rush things you'll score and I always got over them times of not scoring and that's the problem because people say strikers yeah it's not all about scoring goals but the critics are on you when you don't score do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, if if you don't score for six, seven games as a striker, they don't, they're not going to print. Yeah, but he was amazing at the way he held the ball up. You know, he'd done some great crosses. He he ran the channels tirelessly. Do you know what I mean? No one, no one, no one's going to write that stuff. They're going to write, okay, it's eight games. It's nine games. It's not scored. It's ten games. So that's when you got to think to yourself, you know what? I've got to be a bit selfish here and get that goal because then the pressure's going to be off. And then I'm not going to be getting slaughtered worldwide. And his first goal in 13 games. And didn't he enjoy it? What's it feel like when the goal drought ends? I remember I didn't know how to celebrate. I think I forgot how to celebrate. And I scored and I sort of like rolled, threw myself to the floor and sort of rolled on the floor. It was crazy. It was like people used to say, like, oh, what was that celebration? It was a weird one. Because I had scored that long, it was like the relief of like, oh, I finally scored. Do you know what I mean? And it was quite a hard goal to score, score as well. I just remembered like, yes, I've scored. Then the week after I scored again. So it was like, you get over that confidence of like not scoring. Then the, the goals just come. You, you get used to scoring again. But it's not a nice feeling when you're going through that time. Because especially now, because it's worse now with social media. You know what I mean? You, you'll be the laughing stock of social media. You know what people are like in this generation? Oh, he's not scored again. Oh, he's not scored. Oh, he's not scored for a year. And here is Ashley Young up against Fletcher. Half a yard cross, a goal. Agbon Lahore scores again at Old Trafford. He makes a habit of doing that, and Aston Villa have a shock lead here. In 2009-2010, you scored the goal that sees Villa register their first win at Old Trafford um, in your lifetime anyway. It's in 1983, yeah. I think, the, the previous time that they'd won there. Then you score in the semi-final against Blackburn of the League Cup to go to Wembley to face United mm-hmm. again. This is a major day for Villa, you know, going to a cup final. Um, Massive, yeah. Uh, haven't done it for years. A major day for Villa fans, I'm sure your family as well. What, what are the emotions like flowing through you on a day like that? It was crazy because at that time... We had a great team, you know, we'd lost, I think we lost Barry, but we still had a great team, you know, we still had a strong team, we we beat Man United in the league, and we beat them because we were better than them at Old Trafford, not because we were holding on, we were better than them, you know, then we got to the final, and we were confident we could win, you know, I always fancied myself against Vidic, like, you know, like, pace-wise, I knew there was space in behind, I could outrun him, so I get through, given a penalty, 
and you're like, how is it not a red card? Do you know what I mean? For the next 100 years, Villa fans will remember, like, how was that not a red card? But I look back at that game, and Villa fans look back at that game, we should have won that. And I think we were, we were cheated by the ref, who I've never forgiven for it. Do you keep any mementos of uh, that game? I was saying this to my friend the other day, every time I lost in the final, I um, I know it might be a bit short, but I threw my medal sort of down the stairs on the, um, the way down the tunnel. Do you know what I mean? I, I never wanted to keep anything to show my kids, okay, this is when I lost in the, in the, in the cup final, this is when I lost in the cup final, this is when I... That's not something I ever wanted to keep. I never had that mentality of like keeping a runners-up medal. I was just that angry at losing a cup final. I was like, I don't want this. Get away from me. Get it off me. I'm not putting it on my neck. And some people might say drawing, but some people might say, you know what? That's the mentality that maybe other players have had as well. And they went on and won stuff. Villa started to have off-field issues after that. Martin O'Neill resigned the following August. What was your thought when you heard that he was leaving? I could sort of tell he was going to go because he was sort of like losing his temper in training and little things and that I've never seen him do before, you know. I think he was frustrated of not getting them the, the money to make the squad finally get the top four, you know. We weren't far off. It was so frustrating for me because Martin had been so big for me, you know, and he was like my dad. And then to hear that he's left, I was like, whoa, what, what do you mean he's left? But at that time, Randy Lerner just maybe decided that I've had this fun project, you know, I've, I've, I've pumped all this money into it. I haven't got the returns. I may be losing millions and millions. And that's what happens, isn't it? Some owners, um, they're not in it for the long haul, are they? It's like a, a bit of fun and a bit of like um, a business. And if you're losing money in the business, you, you're going to cut your losses, aren't you? And that's what I think Randy did with Martin. And then ever since that day, we, Aston Villa was just a selling club. Everyone got sold. Did you, know? you have many interactions with Randy Lerner? And as a Villa fan, did you have I a got, sort of conflict inside you that that you were that you had this owner was, that was obviously you know, it was a play thing for him, but for you it was your club. Yeah, but you know what? I really got on well with Randy Lerner. He was really good to me. You know, we um, after, every time I scored, he messaged me saying, "Well done, Gabby. Thank you." For me as a player, I'm thinking like in my mind, I'm thinking like, "Well, oh, could you just sell the club then? Like, do you know what I mean? Let someone else come in and." Let's stop being a selling club and selling everyone. I mean, we're losing Barry, we're losing Milner, we're losing Young, we're losing Downing, then we lose Delft, then we lose Benteke, and it's like, what's going on here? Like, eventually you're going to go down. If you keep selling your best players, it's eventually going to happen, isn't it? How did you find working under Gerard Houllier? You know what? I think I've done a piece on Gerard Houllier, but that was just me at that time being like, I don't know, a bit of a spoiled brat of like, you know, because I wasn't playing under him, Mm. so... I think any player who's not playing under a manager is not going to say anything good about them, are they? But for me, it was just being used to Martin O'Neill, and that's all I've known. Then a French manager to come in who was a bit arrogant and just a whole different sort of concept of the way football's played. He changed to a 4-5-1. I never played because it was um, Darren Bent got brought in and then um, Ashley Young wanted to play in the hole and then... He'd play maybe Heskey on the left or or Brighton and then Downing. So it was sort of like I hadn't played left wing before. So it was a time and a season where I play, I was on the bench a lot. So I was like a moody, moody, moody player on the bench. So I think at that time I was never going to say anything good about him, was I? Could you believe the number of managers you had in that last period at Aston Villa? Nine managers in seven <laughs> years. And that's not really including the caretakers. I don't know. It was a project that was tough for any manager I mean I'll say to this day Paul Lambert done wonders he yeah. done absolute wonders with the squad he had I was going through the players with my friend that we had at the time and we stayed up on the Lambert and we were overachieving massively with the squad that we had we were buying players from League 2 League 1 in not the top league in France not the top league in Spain not League 2 in England like League 1 in England do you know what I mean like players that were, it wasn't their fault but they probably wasn't good enough at that time. Some of them have gone on to get better and better and have again good careers. But at that time, we were so overachieving, and I was just like, Randy Lerner was giving these managers a job that's not possible. That's why there were so many managers in and out because it was such a tough job for them to do without their financial support. Did all the changes unsettle you? Do you think it stopped you from becoming a better player? I think definitely, and I think my loyalty probably cost me in the end. You know what I mean? I had chances to leave, but it was like, no, I'm not leaving. Randy Lerner probably thought, you know what? 
he's staying. Do you know what I mean? I remember when Paul Lambert come in, he was given the job to cut the wages at the club. Do you know what I mean? So anyone was on half decent money, they're out. And that's why he, he brought in, obviously, players on less money from lower leagues. And I was one of the, the, the highest paid, but I wasn't moved. It's because my relationship with like Randy Lerner was like, okay, everyone can go but Gabby. Do you know what I mean? Mm. He's the light blood of the team. He's the he's the, the the local lad. He's the one that's got to stay. Did you feel responsible then? And and do you regret now not being maybe less loyal? Um, I don't regret it, you know. But sometimes I might look back and say, you know what? Maybe if I left and went this club, I could have maybe played Champions League, or have had maybe all England caps, or would have won a trophy. But when I look back, I'm like, I'm proud to have been that one man club. I did feel like um, the pressure was on me. We've got these players that might not be as good as what you've been playing before. But we've got to go on with it. There's no money to spend. We've got to stay up. That's a massive gear else, change, though, from what happened under Martin yeah, O'Neill, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it was. It was a massive change of like, I'm playing in a team where we're going to Old Trafford, Chelsea, um, Arsenal, and we're like, okay, we can beat these. We're not scared of them, and we're beating them teams. Because of the talent in the squad, the heart. The, the, I mean, we used to have the most players from one team in England squads at one stage. Me, Milner, Barry Downing. Do you know what I mean? It was. It, it's gone from that to, wow, we're going to the Etihad with this team. Oh my God! It's like going into the Lions Den, the Coliseum with like no, not not many weapons. Do you know what I mean? That was the feeling of that that time. It was like we're fighting every week, and I think we only stayed up for this time under Lambert because we were such a close team. Do you know what I mean? The banter with the team was close. We were a very close team and I think that's why we stayed up. Still to come on Upfront with Gabby Agbonlahor, he talks about how it felt to be left out of the starting lineup for the 2015 FA Cup final. And I was just so upset and so angry and then for the game to start and we'll 2 0 down so quickly. I'm watching from the side, I'm just like, I'm giving him evils, Sherwood. I'm just like, don't even look at me. You're listening to Upfront with Gabby Agbonlahor on Talksport. Michael Oliver blows the full-time whistle and Tim's tactics tick the box at Wembley. In January, they were looking like relegation candidates, but just four months later, Aston Villa are going to an FA Cup final for the first time in 15 years. In 2015, Aston Villa get to an FA Cup final, a trophy that the club hasn't won since 1957. It's the first final for the club in 15 years. The buzz around the city was non-stop. The BBC even revived the traditional whole day of programming for this cup final. Um, The team had beat Liverpool in the semi-final. Jack Grealish had been absolutely immense during that period. What was it like for you being told you weren't starting the final? Oh, God. Honestly, like... What had happened is I'd pulled my hamstring. I was having like when Cher would come in, I was on fire um, under him, you know, and I loved him. And I pulled my hamstring against Spurs, so it was like, hmm. I think it was, might have been three weeks before the semi-final. Yeah. So there's me like getting every sort of bit of treatment possible, rushing to get back for the semi-final, and then I remember Cher would put me in the office and saying like, "You're not fit enough to play. You know, I mean, hamstrings too soon." We can't risk it, you know, we still need to stay up, sort of thing. Like, like he's joking me, like, it's Wembley, 75 Liverpool, I'm not playing. But I listened to him. When I found out I'm not playing the final, I'm like, what are you talking about? I sort of fell out of him, I was like, how dare you, do you know what I mean? Like, he's like, I oh, know, but look at how the team played against Liverpool, I can't leave Enzogbeer out. I did understand it from that point of view, do you know what I mean, in my head. But in my head, I was thinking, this is a different game. When we beat Arsenal that season, at the start of the season under Lambert, we played as a um, counter-attack team and we beat them. I got two penalties in the game from two good runs. Gabby Agbonlahor, the wonderful second half of the season. He stepped away from Kischelny, Agbonlahor goes down, Andy Vyman hits the side netting, referee says penalty. I was just like, you got to play me, you like, you can't, you can't do this to me, do you know what I mean? And I was just so upset and so angry and then... For the game to start and we're 2-0 down so quickly, I'm watching from the side, I'm just like, I'm giving him evils, Sherwood, I'm just like, don't even look at me. When I come on, it was like, it was too late. I mean, I got took out for a penalty, it wasn't given, but it was too late. Arsenal was just such a great side then and um, I was just upset, to be honest. And then I remember after the game, 
I was just like to the fitness coach, I was like, don't give me anything to do in the summer, leave me alone, I don't speak to anyone. I was so angry still after the game and I sort of like didn't hang around and I was just like, you know what, I'm gone for the summer. Did you repair that relationship with Tim after that? Or was that the yeah, moment? Yeah, it wasn't you think it, it was no, no, no. It was it was me and Tim Share would still speak now, like we were fine. It was just sort of like okay, a day later, I'm over it now. Do you know what I mean? It was just at that time and that's what managers want to see, don't they? They don't want players to not want to play. He would have buzzed off that. Then pre-season started, we were fine, bantering. Like, I loved him, to be honest. And I still say today, we wouldn't have got relegated if he stayed because everyone was on side with him. Everyone loved Tim Sherwood. Steve Bruce eventually came in. There was a few managers in between um, again. But once Steve Bruce comes in, he, he says he's going to give you a clean sheet because Remy Gard didn't fancy you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Did you think, oh, I'm going to thrive again under this guy? The time before Bruce, Remy Gardy and Demon Tay, I was going through some dark times off the pitch that people don't really know about. You know, really? I was in the papers every few yeah, I've been I was in the papers a lot with um different women and, you know, um different things about women and myself in the paper and the the paper was sort of bullying me to be honest. I think I was in the, I was on the front page of the paper three days in a row. I'm thinking to myself there's so many things going on in the world and you're bothered about me. Do you know what I mean? Like, like me, like Gabby from Birmingham, like, come on. And um, but, but that is the scrutiny re- that comes with being a Premier League footballer. Did you... Did no, you I get it. Did you, I do, do you get it? Or do you still think... Or are you still angry about it? I'm still angry, but I do get it. But then I still think, like, come on. There's, like, A-list celebrities out there, things going on in the world. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's more to talk about than me. And it affected me sort of like um, during that season we got relegated. I wasn't training. I was like I was putting on weight because I was like um, sort of had, had depression because of the, the the stuff in the papers and people knowing my private life. And then do you know what I mean? So that affected me that yeah. season. And then Di Matteo coming, I got myself fit pre-season because I wanted to repay and get the team promoted. Di Matteo told me the day before the season started after I was the fittest I've been in years. Okay, we don't want you. So I'm like, all right, Demon Tail, well, I'll see you out, mate. That's what I said to him in the office with the owner. I said, I'll see him out. So um, I'm not going nowhere, Roberto. Um, then that's what I did, you know. Um, then Bruce come in a few Didn't months take later. That long, really, then, <laughs> exactly, mate. Like, it happened overnight, but he was useless, Demon Tail. But Bruce come in then, and like, Steve Bruce is old school, you know. Like, like he knows, you know what I mean? He knows, like, what's going on. And. He just said to me, you know what, you need to get fit. Because under Di Matteo, I'd been sent to the reserves. I was walking a 10-minute walk every day to train with the under 23. So I wasn't looking after myself because I sort of went back into depression from the season before. Do you know what I mean? So I got myself fit pre-season, then told I'm not wanted. So I'm like, all right, naturally, you're not going to be like at your fittest, are you? And then Steve Bruce come in and said, you know what, after the first training session, he's gone, you're not fit enough to be involved yet. Let's get you on a program. Let's get you fit, get your match fit, get you some reserve team games, and then you'll be back involved. And that's what happened. I wasn't the same player, to be honest. And that's me being truthful. Do you know what I mean? Why? I was like, because of what happened off the pitch. I think like what had happened off the pitch. What had happened with me losing my fitness? And yeah, you can get your fitness back, but I think in that period, I think I'd lost a yard. My my body felt like it had aged within like a year, year and a half. I was just getting niggling injuries. I was just like, okay, I'm injured again. I'm on a treatment table again. Okay, I'm back. Okay, I'm on a treatment table again. Do you know what I mean? So that's why that season I didn't get a new deal because I didn't deserve it. And that's me being truthful. And when you look back now, do you have any regrets? Are there things that you wish you hadn't done? Were there things that you thought were overblown and, and, and they shouldn't have been reported? Or yeah, I mean, I mean, you didn't turn up for a Stuart Pierce training camp, did you? I mean, I bet he was cross about that. <laughs> You know what's funny about that? I was talking to my friend about that. That was Martin O'Neill's fault, by the way, because <laughs> it was my first season in the Premier League. Played every minute of every game. Do you know what I mean? I know I'm young and you can't moan about needing a rest, but I sort of needed a rest. I was like, maybe a year too early for me for the 21 to have some good strikers then. So I wasn't going to be starting. I was going to be on the bench. So I thought, do I really want to go to this tournament and not get the rest I need for the next season? But that was Martin O'Neill's job because we'd agreed it with Martin O'Neill to tell Stuart Pearce. But typical Martin didn't tell anyone. At that time, I was on the beach in Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> and and 
I come back and there was cars outside my house with cameras and I'm like, what's going on? Didn't Martin tell you? So it wasn't me being AWOL, just a communication error. You know what I mean? So I don't have any regrets from that. And I think Stuart Pearce understood that and I was in the next squad the next, the next season. But I think over my career, you're always going to have regrets. Did I take care of myself as I should have? Mm, not really over the whole of my career. But the latter stages, it started to catch up with me. Off the pitch, I was a party boy. Do you know what I mean? Which caught up on, maybe caught up on me. So I think definitely there's regrets in the way maybe I wasn't as professional as I should have been. Maybe I would have like played longer at my peak if I if I'd more been more professional or maybe more England cabs or this. But when I do look back, I'm still proud of what I did achieve. You know, to be the the record goal scorer for Aston Villa in the Premier League, which will take some beating for a while. Three England caps. I think I was involved in 15, 16 England call-ups. And to like just just have the career that I did have to play in the Premier League for like 11, 12 seasons, you know. So definitely do have regrets, but still proud at the same time. At the end of these interviews, we've been testing out centre-forwards to see how well you sort of know yourself. We've got three questions all about you. We call it our perfect hat-trick. First question for you is, when you made your first appearance in pro football for Watford, who did you come on to replace against Coventry City? Trevor Benjamin. Trevor Benjamin, correct. Well done. I lent him five hundred pound when um, I was I was on loan. I think got it back. I need to get in touch with him. It's all right. We can uh, do that service for you. There you go. Uh, the first goal that you perfect, scored ten percent. Uh, you can have it. <laughs> it was against Everton. They've got nowhere to spend to spend it at the moment. Uh, but who did you score your first goal of the next season against? It was your first goal under Martin O'Neill. Um, chart on at home. Correct. Two nil. taken Martin O'Neill celebrates the deadlock is broken and it's the 19 year old local boy who's put Villa ahead who once described you as a nightmare to play against John Terry after a game against who Chelsea it was Germany I think he was in the same team as you that day Mitchell had to cut that one out but it's gone through to Gabriel Egbonlehor can he pick out Carew? Doesn't need him, it's five. All his own work as well. It's Gabriel Agbonlahor. He's in double figures for the season. You've been listening to Upfront with Gabby Agbonlahor and me, Sam Matterface. And if you've missed any of the show or want to catch up, you can download the podcast from the TalkSport Game Day feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever your mission, home or away, don't delay. Enterprise has the vehicle for the job. Rent from the best lineup in the UK. With over 450 branches, Enterprise has what your business needs. From compact three-door cars to spacious SUVs and people carriers to vans, they offer a large range of reliable vehicles perfect for the job. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.